So fathers, we, we now turn to your word and as we seek to hear your voice through what you have already spoken in your word, let the words, Father, that we just sang be true. We would lay ourselves before you all of ourselves, our entire life, heart, soul, mind, and body. Let those words be true, that we would lay them before you as a living sacrifice in response to the sacrifice that your son Jesus has made for us. Father, today, will you sanctify us in the truth of your word? Your word is truth. Speak it to our hearts now. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. And as you find your seats this morning, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bible. Romans chapter 12 is where we'll spend our time together this morning looking at verses one through eight. If you're our guest today, my name's Taylor. I serve here at Cross as lead pastor, and we are honored to have you worshiping with us on this Lord's Day. And what our church family has been doing together for the last few weeks is we've been working through a short message series called Reset, where we are looking at the core four of Cross Community church. Gather, grow, give, and go. Our mission as a church is the great commission that was given by Jesus Christ. So the words you see on the wall as soon as you walk into the building, our mission is to preach the gospel and make disciples. And the way collectively we preach the gospel and make disciples of Jesus Christ is by gospel-shaped gathering, gospel-shaped growing, gospel-shaped giving, and gospel-shaped going. So for the last couple of weeks, we've been taking these one at a time. Two weeks ago, we saw how the gospel shapes our gathering, how it shapes what we do right now as we assemble together for worship to the glory of God. Last week, we looked at gospel-shaped spiritual growth, where I believe Dave has coined a new term for spiritual maturity, which is adulting for Jesus. I really appreciated that last week. Um, Gospel-shaped growing is what we saw from Ephesians 4 last week. Today, we're going to see gospel-shaped giving from Romans chapter 12. Um, I, I grew up in Western North Carolina at a very traditional Southern Baptist church. And um, at this particular church, you know, our, our pastor, every single week, he would come down to the front after he preached the sermon. And um, anybody who desired to give their life to Jesus Christ or become a member of the church would come forward and they would pray with our pastor and then he would direct them to some next steps. And it was always just this sweet, precious moment to see people coming forward, giving their lives to Jesus, um, stepping into membership with the local church. And more often than not, the song that we would sing during this particular time of the service was the hymn, I Surrender All. And it seemed really, really appropriate. People were giving their lives to Jesus Christ or they were giving themselves over for membership within the local body of Christ. And so it seemed appropriate that we would sing words like, I surrender all. But, you know, for those of us who were not coming forward to make those types of decisions or to make those types of commitments, for us, this was the end of the worship service. And more often than not, uh, that song could quickly sort of become the wrap it up music at the end of service, right? Like uh, we're standing there, we're singing, but it's while we're kind of packing up our notes and our Bibles and, and our remember my parents, you know, starting to kind of corral us together because once service ended, we're either back home or we're going off to our Sunday school class. And I remember as I got a little bit older, there was one particular Sunday, I don't really know why, but as we sang those words, I surrender all, something about that all hit me a little bit different every single day. 
And it just kind of made me wonder, you know, as we, we sort of drift into this monotonous routine of singing this song week in, week out, it just kind of hit me one day where I asked, like, do we have any idea what we just sang there? Like, do we have any idea what we just expressed to the Lord, the commitment that we just made when we sang, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. But we sang one of those songs again this morning, but whereas we're singing Refiner a moment ago, it, it just kind of hits me, it registers with me where I'm kind of going, do we have any idea what we're singing right now? Like, like, has it dawned on any of us what we just asked the Lord to do? Like when we sang, I want to be tried by fire, I want to be purified to express to the Lord, you can take from me whatever you desire. Lord, here's my life. Like it sounds so heroic to sing these words, but man, do we really recognize what we just asked the Lord to do? Now, this morning we're looking at gospel-shaped giving. And as well, over the last couple of weeks, we've taken statements directly from our membership covenants. Um, these are based in scripture because these are the commitments that God's word calls us to be making as a body of believers. And about halfway into our membership covenant is a statement about giving. And it just says very simply, we will give. We were cheerfully and faithfully contribute to the support of the ministry of the word, the needs of the congregation, the relief of the poor, the expenses of the church, and the spread of the gospel to all nations. We will joyfully serve the congregation through the unique gifts that have been graciously and irrevocably bestowed upon us by the Spirit of God as we fulfill our essential function as individual members of one body. As Cole said earlier this morning, when we think about giving as believers, we, we often talk about our giving in the language of time, treasure, talent, because that's really how scripture frames these things. We give sacrificially of our time. We give sacrificially of the spiritual gifts that God has given to us for the building up of the church. We give sacrificially of our finances with open-handed generosity to advance the kingdom. But when we talk about gospel-shaped giving, we are not primarily talking about time slots on our calendar and amounts of money from the bank, what we're primarily talking about is the condition of our hearts. For the believer in Jesus Christ, our giving doesn't start with our time and our treasure and our talent. For the believer in Jesus Christ, our giving starts with the entire giving of ourselves in response to the gospel and the reality that Christ has given himself for us. John 3, 16, the gospel announcement tells us, for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for our salvation. And so what we're gonna see this morning as we open up Romans chapter 12 is that our giving is a response to the gospel. Our giving's a response to the gospel. What Paul shows us in these verses is that we are called to give everything. Everyone say everything. We are called to give everything to the Savior who has given everything for us. Now we're jumping right in to Romans chapter 12 this morning. I wanna make sure we have a little bit of context as we get uh, to the beginning of this particular chapter um, because uh, this is really gonna bring to life what Paul's saying. There's a therefore at the beginning of chapter 12 and Bible students, we need to know what it's there for, amen? So uh, here's your quick walk through the book of Romans in about 90 seconds. Romans one and two shows us this picture of how humanity is just in this downward spiral of rebellion against God and rejection of God. 
God. And yet in spite of all of this, God in his kindness and his mercy, he is withholding his wrath against sin and he is inviting everybody now to repent, to turn from their sins and to profess faith in Jesus and know his mercy in salvation. And we need this because Romans 3 tells us that we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We have not measured up to God's standard of acceptability and perfection. But the good news of the gospel is in Romans chapter five, verse eight, where Paul says that God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is such good news. God does not die for us because of who we are, but in spite of who we are. And we need this because Romans 6, he shows us that the wages of sin, the penalty of sin is death, but the free gift of God is salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter seven reads what every Christian's diary basically should read, which is, I'm a hot mess. And Paul really just expresses it like this. He's like, man, the things that I want to be doing that honor the Lord, I don't do those things. And the the things that I shouldn't be doing that dishonor the Lord, those are the things that I do. And so he just kind of laments at the end of chapter seven, wretched man that I am. But then the good news of the gospel again in Romans eight, verse one, he says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And he closes Romans eight by showing us that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And then Romans nine through 11, God's mercy is displayed. As Paul sort of recounts the story of how God had chosen the Jewish people, he had chosen Israel as his chosen people, as the people to whom he would reveal salvation and through whom he would reveal salvation. But his mercy wasn't just limited to the Jewish people, his mercy is also extended to the Gentiles. Those who are not his chosen people, he gives the opportunity to have saving faith in him. And at least nine times in Romans 9 through 11, we see the word mercy. So that by the time we get to Romans 12, Paul now says, therefore, in view of all of that, with all of that in your rear view mirror, with all of this in mind, here's what he writes in Romans 12, one and two. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, Brothers, by the mercies of God, in view of God's mercy in spite of our sin, in view of the provision that he's made in Jesus Christ to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Everybody say living sacrifice. As a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And he says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We're called to give everything to the Savior who has given everything to us. And so being a living sacrifice, giving everything to our Savior, Paul shows us first in verses one and two, means that we give to the Lord everything we are. Give the Lord everything You are. Being a living sacrifice begins with giving our whole selves in response to everything that God has given us in Christ. Josiah briefly mentioned this earlier, but the language in verses one and two calls our attention back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. Under the Old Testament law, sacrifices of animals were burned before the Lord as atonement for sins. And there were strict requirements for those sacrifices to uh, ensure that they were clean. And, and so when an animal was presented for sacrifice, it couldn't have any bruises or, or blemishes. And what this represented was the perfection that God demanded as atonement for sins. And as we saw a couple of weeks 
weeks ago, as the sacrifices were made for sins, God's disposition towards his people would shift from anger to mercy. And so here's the trajectory of how God's plan of salvation unfolds through scripture. Under the old covenant, people made sacrifices to God to atone for sins, but under the new covenant, God has made the final sacrifice for us through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the final sacrifice for sin. He is the truly perfect lamb who can be forever at once and for all slain for our our sins so that all who believe in him have all of their sins, past, present, and future, covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So church, please understand this morning, God could not have possibly given us more than he gave us when he gave us Jesus. God couldn't have given more than he gave when he gave us Jesus. And because God has given everything for us, this is how Paul frames it in Romans 12, in view of God's mercy, because he's made all this provision for us, the appropriate response is that we give of ourselves to him. So we give the Lord everything that we are. To give the Lord everything we are first means that we give him our worship. We're to give him our worship. Second half of verse one, Paul writes, we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, I think if we're being honest, many of us, when we hear this word worship, what initially comes to mind is the activity that we do for 10 minutes right before the sermon. Like we kind of reduce this to, to worship music or, or singing or, or giving some type of praise. But man, passages like Romans chapter 12 show us that biblically our worship is so much more than just offering a song. The language that Paul uses for offer your body in, in Romans chapter 12, that this was a term that, that encapsulated your whole self. And so this isn't just your physical body. It's not just we give our physical bodies over to the Lord as an act of worship. We give of our whole self. We're giving our soul. We're giving him our will. We're giving him our desires. We're giving him our dreams. We're giving him our ambitions. We're laying all of it down to him and saying, this now belongs to you. This no longer belongs to me. All of these things now belong to you. My body belongs to you. My soul belongs to you. My desires, my dreams, my ambitions, these all belong to you. And man, this flies absolutely in the face of the messaging that you're gonna hear in the world today. This is the exact opposite. I mean, man, even among professing followers of Christians today, the messaging you'll hear, or or at least the expression of desire, it's like, yes, God is my number one. He's my priority. I love the Lord with all my heart, and and I belong to him except for my personality. I'm I'm holding on to that. Like, man, we've just got this culture of self-absorbed narcissism where we're just kind of like, this is who I am, and the rest of y'all can just sort of deal with it instead of submitting ourselves to the sanctifying work of God according to his word. God's my number one, he's my priority, Jesus is my all, except for my sexual desires. They conflict with God's word. I'm gonna be holding on to those things. And so we'll sing, I surrender all, but practically we only surrender some. I'll follow Jesus, but I'm keeping my dreams. I'll follow Jesus, but I'm keeping my desires. I'll follow Jesus, but I'm keeping my ambitions. And that's not a living sacrifice. It's not giving God our, our, our worship. You know, uh, pastorally, I, I've just seen this play out in a number of different ways. Man, man the, the, the message that our culture is screaming at the top of its lungs right now is my body, my choice. And brother, sister in Jesus Christ, on the authority of God's word, that, that, that's a lie. 
If you belong to Jesus Christ, you don't belong to yourself. You belong to him. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. We offer our bodies. We offer our whole selves to him as a living sacrifice. We submit it to the authority of his word and the indwelling presence of his spirit within us. I've seen that sometimes how, how often that this language of, of body, it can really be a hindrance to, to a lot of us. And sometimes, you know, thoughts of our bodies, they, this can be associated with, with feelings of guilt. It can be associated with feelings of shame. It can be associated with feelings of embarrassment and unworthiness. Sometimes this is due to the things that we have done ourselves that are our fault. But listen, sometimes this stems from things that were done to you that were not your fault. And that Satan just plays this sinister game where people inflict harm upon us physically, sexually, emotionally, whatever it is, and then we take that guilt on ourselves. And we, we feel this at a soul level, but what happens to us at, at, at our, with, with our bodies. And so sometimes the guilt comes from the things that we've done. You know, we're, we're just like, honestly, we hear the call to lay down our body, and it's like, man, I've, I've committed a lot of sexual sin with this body. Or, or I have abused substances with this body. Or at my lowest moments, I have caused harm to this body. Or someone else has caused harm to your body. And so we can just be racked with these feelings of guilt and shame and unworthiness. And we can just kind of go, man, what would God want with this body? Like, like this fractured, broken body, this fractured, broken mess of a soul. What would God want with any of this? But church, this is the good news of the gospel your acceptance and your holiness before God, it's not based on the size of your mess, it's based on the size of his mercy. This is the good news of the gospel. Like you were worth Jesus to God. When, when you struggle with these feelings of I'm unworthy and how could God love me and, and what would he possibly want to do with me? You were worth Jesus to God. His love for you is not based on the size of your mess. It's based on the size of his mercy. And what is the size of his mercy? It's the cross. That The cross is a place, man, we were unholy, but God makes us holy. We were unacceptable, but God has now made us acceptable through faith in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus died as the sacrifice for you, you're now free to live as the sacrifice for him. This is what it means to worship him, not just to give him a song, it means that we give him ourselves. We offer our whole self to him, heart and soul, mind and body. It all belongs to Jesus Christ. But giving our everything doesn't just mean giving the Lord our worship. It also means giving him our will. Paul says at the end of this uh, verse, verse two, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, and acceptable and perfect. Being a living sacrifice means laying down our will to pick up God's will. You know, when I was, it was about 16 years ago this past summer, um, I was going through basic training with the army. I recognize I just said that in a room full of Marines, okay? And, and you're immediately like, your basic training's not as hard. And I'm like, I know, that's why I joined the army, right? Like I'm, I call that wisdom personally. And, um, and, and so, so I, I'm, in, I'm in, you know, checking in late one mid-May night 
Fort Jackson, South Carolina, you know, we get off the bus and we got there late. And I guess that the drill sergeant who met us there, he wasn't actually expecting anybody else to come in for the evening. He thought he was done. So you can imagine how happy he was when he saw us rolling in. And, um, and so, you know, he's yelling at us to get off the bus and there's kind of that scramble. We're trying to find our stuff and we line up. And the first thing he says to us is, I own you now. And it just immediately starts to register. And over the next 24 hours, you just immediately undergo the radical transformation. Man, my, my hair is, is gone, and they assign you those big, gigantic, ugly glasses. Um, and, and I've got dog tags on my neck, and I'm in a new uniform. And it was just a very surreal moment. I remember um, when I packed away my Motorola Razor phone, because um, this is pre-smartphones, and I put it in an envelope, and then I took all my civilian clothes and put them in this plastic bag, and I handed it all over. And, and then over, man, the next 12 weeks, over the next few months, there's just this radical process of transformation. And as you go through basic training with any branch of the military, you immediately divide into two classes. You have those who are willing to submit themselves to the process of transformation, and you have those who decide they wanna stay conformed to the world. And, and I had a friend who'd gone through basic training just a few years before me, and I remember him telling me before I went, he was like, Taylor, man, it's, it's easy. He was like, just be where you're supposed to be there with what you're supposed to have, when you're supposed to be there, just do what you're told. He's like, just do what you're told. And, and generally speaking, that was my experience. I mean, there's a level of getting screamed at and physical agony that's impossible to avoid, no matter how well you listen, because even when you're right, you're wrong, right? So you have some drill instructors here in the room. And, and so there's a level of that can't be avoided. But man, we had a couple guys, 52-person platoon, who just decided from the beginning, like, we're not gonna submit to the transformation. And so they had a very, very difficult few months. It was much more difficult than it had to be. And, and where I think some of you are probably at in your life today is the reason why you're chaotic and spiraling out of control and, and just feel like you are careening on a path towards destruction is because instead of submitting yourself to being transformed by the word of God, you're remaining conformed to the world. And God calls us to give all of ourselves we're giving him our worship. We're, we're making him the top of our affections. We, we give him our will. We surrender to his will. We, we lay our will down. We need to be transformed, Paul says, by the renewing of our minds. I mentioned this a few weeks ago, when, or a few months ago, when we were studying the book of Jude together. I think, man, as a follower of Jesus Christ, there are a few better, more important decisions you can be making in the year 2023 than the decision of what voices you're allowing into your head. Man, so many of our, in our culture today, you're being shaped, you're, you're being discipled by 15 second reels and one minute TikTok clips. And, and just please hear my heart when I tell you, if, if you are not very grounded in the word of God, you need to be very careful about what other voices you're listening to. You need to be very careful about what books you're reading and about what podcasts you're listening to, what about, about what conferences you're attending and about what documentaries you're submitting your, your mind to. Are you being conformed to the world or are you being transformed by the word? Because Satan is so sinister in how he slips in his lies. And if you're not careful, you'll find yourself embracing them instead of submitting yourself to the transforming power of God's word. Are you being transformed by the renewing of your mind or are you being conformed to the pattern of this world? Being a living sacrifice means giving the Lord everything we are. It means giving him our worship and it means giving him our will. Paul goes on in verses three through eight to flesh this out now a little bit more on a practical level. 
He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, just speaking that on behalf of God's word, thus saith the Lord, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy, helping others who can do nothing for you in return with cheerfulness. So we're called to give everything to Jesus because Jesus has given everything to us. We Give to the Lord everything that we are. Second Paul shows us in verses three through eight that we give to the Lord everything we have. Being a living sacrifice before God means first and foremost giving him everything you are and then what flows from that is giving him everything you have. Understand every good thing that you and I have, whether it is spiritual, whether it's material, whether it's financial, we only have these things because the Lord has given them to us. This is why Paul says in these verses, we shouldn't think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We have to recognize the only reason we have good things, spiritually, material, financially, to begin with is is because God gave them to us. We did nothing to earn these things. We've definitely not done anything to deserve these things. Every good thing that we have has only been given to us as a gift of God's grace. And because of that, We have to recognize all our good things first and foremost come from him. But then Paul goes on to show us that they are not just for our individual benefit. They're for the benefit of the building up of the body of Christ. The language that he uses here, he says that we are all members of one body. And and we, I think it's important we recognize the Bible uses this word member very differently than the way you and I might use the word member. The Bible doesn't talk about us being members of the body in the way that a golfer is a member of a club. The Bible talks about being members of the body in the way that my hand is a member of my arm. It's, it's my, my body can continue to function without my hand, but without the presence of my hand, I'm gonna have some struggles. I'm gonna have some challenges that I have to adjust and to adapt to. So understand, God has not just gifted you for your own personal benefit. Your gift is not your gift. Your gift is first and foremost his gift, and it's been given for the benefit of the full body of believers. So again, when we talk about giving as believers, language that we'll often use is the language of talent and treasure. And we use that because of passages like we see here in Romans chapter 12. So giving the Lord everything you have, Paul shows us in verses six through eight, means first we give him our talents. Give him your talent. God has gifted you to do something. But whether it's prophecy, declaring the word of God, we, we check all prophecy against the word of God, but if that's your gift, do that in proportion to your faith. Do that with the level of confidence that God has given you. If it's in your serving, then serve. If it's in, if it's in acts of mercy, it's with cheerfulness. If it's in teaching, then teaching. If it's exhortation, doing what I'm doing right now, it's in exhortation. If it's leading, it's leading with zeal. We do everything that we can with everything that we have, ultimately for the glory of God of God. We give him our talent. Your gifting is not just your gifting. Your gifting belongs to the body of Christ. And church, when we refuse to put into practice the spiritual gifts that the Lord has given to us, we functionally rob him and of the church what rightfully belongs to him and what belongs 
to each other. So we give him our talent. Beyond this, Paul says that we should, shows us that we should give him our treasure. This is the second half of verse eight. He says, the one who contributes in generosity. You know, sad reality I think we should pay attention to today is that in spite of having more disposable income than almost every generation of believers that has ever come before us, Christians today give overall a lower percentage of our income than Christians were giving during the Great Depression. Back in the Great Depression, Christians on average were giving close to about 3.5% of their income. That has dwindled down to about 2.5% among our generation. Anytime we have this conversation, you know, about giving, you know, it always invites this question. Well, then, okay, what, what should we be given? Like, what is the biblical standard for, for giving of our finances? And some will point to the Old Testament, you know, the practice of the tithe, where they would give 10% for either service in the temple or the building up of the nation. And so some will use that as a, as a starting point. Others will use that as a starting point, but then kind of actually make the case that we think, hey, the New Testament believers probably started giving more because uh, Acts 2 and Acts 4 says they saw nothing as belonging to themselves, that they distributed to all freely as anybody had need. And so some will argue actually it became more than 10%. But what is actually the New Testament standard for our giving? Well, this is the guideline and the principle that God's word gives us in 2 Corinthians chapter nine. This will be a a famous, a familiar passage for, for many of you in the room. Where Paul writes, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So again, in the New Testament, we, we don't have a, a specific percentage. There's not a specific, uh, specific amount. It's more principles and guidelines. What we see in those verses, it's we should give bountifully and we should give uh, cheerfully. Capital One for a long time has had this slogan, uh, what's in your what? What's in your wallet? The New Testament does not primarily aim to answer the question, what's in your wallet? The New Testament primarily aims to answer the question, what's in your heart? Please don't miss this this morning. Way more than he is interested in getting money out of your pocket, the Lord is interested in getting greed out of your heart. It's getting materialism out of your heart. It's getting coveting out of your heart. It's getting selfishness out of your heart. It's getting stinginess out of your heart. God's not nearly as concerned about how much money's flowing into the offering every single week as he is concerned about how much sin is flowing out of our hearts as we were conformed more and more ultimately to his image. You know, it's really sad to me. Um, oftentimes that passage from 2 Corinthians uh, will, will be used like this. People will read that where it says that, you know, the one who sows bountifully will reap bountifully and it's preached like this. You know, your, see your motivation to giving is if you'll just trust God, if you'll just give what you have, God will give you more in return. And, and has it ever registered with you that that's like functional paganism? I mean, guys, that, that is prosperity gospel nonsense. Our primary motivation in giving as new covenant believers is not that God gives us more crap in return. Our motivation in giving as believers is that God has given us everything we need in Jesus Christ. God has given us all that we could possibly need in Jesus Christ. We're satisfied in Christ. We're content in Christ. We don't need more. Like we don't give to God like he's a pagan God thinking we can twist his arm to give us a bigger bank account in return. Jesus has already paid the debt for your sin. What more could you possibly want? Like why would we ever use this? Like this 
selfish desire, like I'll give as long as God doubles it in return, doubles the investment, you've already gotten Jesus and you're not getting hell. Like what else could we possibly need as a motivation to give? Many of us are functional pagans in our giving. We think that in our giving of our time, treasure, talent, we're gonna get more in return. And the the result here is not we're getting more. The, The result should be joy because we've already been given Christ. We have already been given Christ. The question should never be, how much do I have to give? The question we should be asking is, how could I ever hold anything back from the one who held nothing back from me? Um, I asked my 10-year-old son if I could share this story this morning, and he, he gave me the green light. Um, when he was little, he was about three years old, he wanted to go to a Charlotte Hornets basketball game. And so we were gonna be up in uh, uh, Charlotte area for Thanksgiving, Christmas time, and so found tickets to a game. And um, traffic in Charlotte, crazy. You know, I lived there for a few years and some of you know that as well. So we took the light rail uptown, uh, bought the game tickets, took the light rail. Um, Let's be honest, he's three years old. I think we watched like a total of five minutes of the game. Um, Mostly piggybacked him around the stadium uh, because he was looking for Hugo the Hornet, who was the mascot. And so we chased Hugo around the stadium most of the night and bought him this little mini basketball. We had a really good time. And but towards the end of the night, you know, he was getting tired and he finally decided in the fourth quarter, he wanted to go sit down and watch some of the game. But before we did that, he asked if we could get a snack. And I was like, sure. And so we stopped at the concession stand and um, he decides he wants some peanut M&Ms, which if you know me, are very near and dear to my heart. Um, because peanut M&Ms, they're, they're my number one favorite snack, which is peanuts, wrapped in my number one favorite dessert, which is chocolate. And they are to me, evidence of God's common grace. Like he wants us to enjoy his good gifts. And, and so we get the, the peanut M&Ms and we go up to our seat and we sit down. And so, uh, because, because I'm dad and I'm, I don't believe in this like candy tax stuff. I'm a benevolent dictator. I just kind of say like, hey, this is what you're gonna give me. And so we sit down and I'm like, hey, let me get some peanuts. And how does Gideon respond? No. I'm like, you little... I said, why not? He goes, they're mine. I'm like, I bought the tickets to this game. I dragged your tail around this stadium on my back for for a couple hours, didn't even get to watch the game. I put the candy in your hand and you're gonna have the audacity to tell me this is mine. And yet functionally, how many of us do this to the Lord all the time? Their money, it's mine. Their time, it's mine. Spiritual gifts he's given to us, uh uh-uh, it's mine. Dustin and I have this conversation in between service. Here's the challenge with us. Our issue isn't, isn't that we don't understand sacrifice as a culture. Our issue as a church culture is that the things we tend to sacrifice are the things that belong to the Lord. You know, this is where I fear maybe some of you have landed today. There's a lot of language in our culture right now that's being used in regards to things like self-care. And, um, you know, living sustainable rhythms and avoiding burnout. And these are important conversations because uh, to an extent it's necessary. We need to be reminded, hey, you're, you're not Jesus. Like you can't do everything. You can't say yes to everything. You, you are nobody's savior. And yet what we see from Romans 12 is we are all called to be a sacrifice. And here's what I fear has happened to many in our culture today is we'll hide behind this language of avoiding burnout and, and, and wanting to have sustainable rhythms and wanting to, to care for ourselves. Is we'll use this language, which is important language and necessary. We'll use it as an excuse 
to avoid the discomfort that will inevitably come from being a living sacrifice for Jesus. You know, this shouldn't come as a surprise to us this morning, church, but listen, if you're gonna be a living sacrifice, it's gonna require living sacrificially. Like the reality is like service in the church, it's, it's gonna cost us something. When we give of our finances, it's gonna cost us something. Talk to the families in the room that are doing things like adoption and foster care. It's gonna cost you something. But what we're doing is we make sacrifices. We're telling Jesus, you're worth this. Another way to express the term worship is by saying worth-ship. Because what we're doing in worship is we are showing the Lord, this is what we believe you're worth. And so guys, whenever we, we hold back, we hold back of our finances, we hold back of our spiritual gifts, we hold back of our time, what we're really telling the Lord is, you're not worth this. You're not worth my time. You're, you're not worth my money. You're not worth my service. You're not worth me. And how could we ever say this? How could we withhold anything from the one who did not even withhold his own life from us? Uh, this is a great quote from J.I. Packer. He once said, the measure of all love is its giving. And the measure of the love of God is the cross of Christ. Church, God did not spare his own son to save us from our sins. He gave Jesus. And so our reasonable response to this is to give everything to the Savior who gave everything for us. And so here's the question I wanna close out with this morning that I hope all of us will ask ourselves. Am I holding anything back from the Savior who has held nothing back from me? Am I holding anything back from the Savior who has held nothing back from me? Have you offered him your body? Have you offered him your mind? Have you offered him your soul? Have you offered him your worship and your will? Have you offered him everything you have, your time, your talent, and your treasure? Living sacrificially as a believer is gonna be necessary to be a living sacrifice. Again, it just it is, sounds so heroic for us to, to sing songs like, Lord, set me on fire. I lay all myself down before you. Do we know what we're singing there? Do we know what we're singing there? And, and, and yet, we should be able to sing it. In response to the gospel, this should be the song of our lives because Jesus died as a sacrifice for you. You can live as a sacrifice for him. You don't have to make yourself holy and acceptable before God. God has made you holy and acceptable to him. How could we withhold anything from the Savior who held nothing back from us. So church, gospel-shaped giving means giving in response to the one who has given everything for us. Will you bow your heads with me as we close this morning? We're gonna come right to the table here in just a moment because the table is where we see, we're reminded visibly of the fact that Jesus gave his all for us. He held nothing back. It was his body that was broken. It was his blood that was shed so that ours didn't have to be. He gave all of himself to us. We respond by giving all of ourselves to him. So as we come to the table this morning, let's lay before the Lord anything we're holding back. What is of you that is not of Christ? What are you holding back from him that rightly belongs to him? Let's confess that to the Lord. Let's ask him for hearts of repentance to turn and let's be reminded now of the good news of the gospel, the finished work of the cross, 
We don't need God to give us anything more than he's already given us when he gave us Jesus. So Father, we, we rejoice this morning in the sufficiency of Jesus. We declare that he's enough. That we don't need more because you've already given us all. So free our hearts from our own wills, free our hearts from our own desires and ambitions, free our hearts from needing to be in control of our schedules and needing to be in control of our material resources. God, free our hearts of these things. Do your work in us today that we would be free to worship you and declare to you, you are worthy of all of ourselves. Lord, we give this to you today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.